everybody and welcome to This Woman Can. Thank you so much for joining me. My, I am your host Janice Sutherland and this week we are in conversation with Ambassador Joan H. Underwood. She's a senior management consultant and policy advisor with extensive experience in both public and private sectors. Highly credentialed, Joan has worn many hats, including Senior Professional in Human Resources, Accredited Director and Master Trainer, Ericsson Professional Coach. She's also served as a facilitator, get my words out, and subject matter expert in the Cave Hill School of Business at the University of West Indies Executive Diploma in Management and the Executive MBA programs. In addition to her work coaching, management and policy, Joan served for seven and a half years as Antigua Barbuda's non-resident ambassador to several Latin American countries. And last but not least, Joan is a newly published author of Manager's First Aid Kit, described by Melange magazine as the ultimate tool for self-development that every aspiring or current manager should have within their possession. Oh, Joan, Joan, you make me tired just reading that. Welcome and how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for this invitation. And I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Fabulous. Delighted to have you join me. Now, as I said, you have been a woman of many hats, many, many hats. So, but tell me what drove you to consider or, or to have so many reinventions? You know, it's an interesting question. And, uh, I recently was being interviewed and I I said that I was pivoting before pivoting was a thing. (laughs) And some of it was intentional, but some of this was by circumstance. Okay. So um, my first career was in the healthcare sector, in laboratory medicine in in particular. Right. And that pivot away from being a, a lab tech was due to the fact that I realized that it was taking a toll on me um, that was not sustainable. Right. That was one of the primary driving factors. And there were two two primary factors. I'll I'll tell you about the, the unsustainable toll. I found myself getting emotionally caught up in the health issues of the patients that I was dealing with. Okay. Right. So um, one of the things that I did was diagnose cancer and precancerous lesions. And the prevalence of advanced cancer was so, so high. And when you're from a small society, you either know the people or know someone who knows the people. And so I I was getting too emotionally invested in uh, these people who were becoming ill. And so I was seeing them come from late diagnosis and ultimately pass away. And I said, if I continue to ride this emotional roller coaster, it's not going to be healthy for me. So that was one consideration. The second consideration is that as a technician, I was frustrated by what I perceived then to be um, inadequate policy and management. And so that first pivot was away from being a technician 
to doing my first master's degree in health services management and policy. Because I'm like, if I'm managing, I'm one step removed from the clinical work. Right. And so then I can safeguard my own mental and emotional well-being yeah. and have a positive impact because with better policy and management, then we can diagnose people earlier and then the outcomes could be better. So that was the first pivot. Right. So when you've gone through um, your process, your pivot, your reinvention, transition, whatever we wish to call them, what do you think has been the, maybe the core motivator for making those changes? To make a better contribution, right. which is why I went from technician to management and policy. And in some cases, the self-care. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I'm not going to argue with that on the self-care bit. I'm not going to argue about yeah. that at all. So what would you say, Joan, has been your greatest change, your greatest transition or pivot? <laughs> I think that would have been when I left an executive um, a C-suite position in the private sector and went to work in the public sector full-time as a political appointee. So there's like zero job security associated yeah. with that move. Yeah. In addition to the fact that it's a significant loss of income. Yes. Yeah. So that was extremely impactful. Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, all that sprung into my head when you said that was like, wow, that is a that is a complete 180, like, you know, just complete swap swap around. So what do you think were the transferable skills that helped you to make that change or adapt? To that different environment okay it was my success as an executive and um, also as an advocate right. that led to the offer being made because i had served um previously as the president of the employers federation and so i was very involved in the you know lobbying for proper policy and economic representation etc within the society. Then in terms of my substantive executive role, I was an HR practitioner um, for a financial conglomerate and had a a fairly good track record in terms of how the HR function was structured within within that organization. And so it was then Prime Minister Spencer, having seen me in the public life, Uh, reached out to me and asked me to come and work with him full-time in the office of the prime minister um, because he was one of his main platforms in that second term was public sector transformation. And he wanted someone who had some sensitivity around the HR function to spearhead that transition rather than having it as it has happens in some countries, it resides within the Ministry of Finance. So they're purely economic imperatives that drive the agenda. And PM Spencer, being a a lifelong trade unionist, he wanted to ensure that the people side of public sector transformation was adequately um, taken care of. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but we're women of a certain age. We're, we, we've had life, and just, just from, the, from all the stuff you've said you've done, you know, we're not going to hide the fact that we've lived. Yeah? Oh, not so, at all. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> 
So what do you think is unique about um, pivoting careers midlife? What are the challenges and opportunities that you feel arise? I think one of the biggest things that I've had to be very mindful of as I negotiated later transitions is the perception that we have a best July date, right? Yes. That, you know, okay, should we take the chance on her? Um, You know, we're, we're not likely to get as much out of her as we would out of someone who was young. Yeah. Right. So that's something that I've always had to prepare myself mentally in terms of going into negotiations. Don't wait for someone to put you on the defensive. Yes. But come in with a strong offense in terms of why this is a strength. And so you would have noticed in my bio that it mentions right up front. I put numbers on it. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not shy about saying how much experience I have, yeah. but the diversity of the experience. And so in the conversation, I show how those multiple roles can be leveraged to the benefit of whoever is making the hiring decision. Fabulous. So it's all about more about quality than longevity. When we get when we, we start talking about, you know, why you what, why you should hire me um, when we're, we're, at, we're, certain, we're at a certain stage of life. Yeah. And just showing in terms of the transfer transferability, as you alluded to, the transferability of skills. So, um, you know, and again, having worked in HR for, you know, a number of years, I know how to have the conversations to persuade you that I'm a good fit. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I was mentoring a, a young executive um, just within the past couple of weeks and she sent me her cover letter and her CV and I went back back to her and I said look they gave you the job description so it's not as if you don't know what they're looking for they gave you all the competencies and I said I'm a you know I believe in working smart not working hard Mm -hmm. so when I scan your application I scan it for these competencies you didn't mention them why are you leaving me to do the work to look at what you've provided and see how well it matches up with what I'm looking at? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm very adept at taking what it is you say you're looking at and then telling a story about my CV that aligns perfectly with what you need. Excellent. 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 So when you've embarked on your reinvent, reinventions, Joan, is there anything Anything or one is it one piece of advice you wish you'd received that would have helped you each time you went to you went to reinvent yourself? Well, in the earlier stages, because I, I sort of figured it out later on and had champions and sponsors who helped me to understand it. Because, you know, being socialized as a girl coming up in Caribbean society, we were taught to be humble. And my grandmother, who is, you know, the ultimate role model for me, um, she said she taught me that self-praise was no kind of praise. That's the only thing she ever taught me that I've rejected later on. Yeah. Right. Because I realized I can't wait for other people to sing my praises. Yes. I have to do and be comfortable doing it myself. 
not talking about what I've done in a self-deprecating way, but you know, yeah. I did good here. And I'm gonna tell you about that. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you about it in a way that that's not about being boastful, but about showing you impact mm -hmm. and how effective I can be. And I'm willing to bring that to the table and leverage it on your behalf. Yeah. You know, and it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say a complaint, but it's a challenge I hear many women face about having to, about, about being comfortable self with self-promotion, you know, and, but I always say, if you don't talk about you, who's mm -hmm. going to do it as well as you, you know, and tell, and tell, and tell your story. So for anybody, for any woman that's facing that challenge or feeling uncomfortable, feeling like it's icky, or I've even heard, I've even heard it called sleazy to talk about myself, I'm selling myself. Um, what piece of advice would you share to help someone um, navigate that particular challenge? Well, I'm coming right at that person with some tough love and tell them, get over it. <laughs> because the men who are competing for, for the job that you want have no qualms yeah. about bigging themselves up, embellishing a bit. Yeah, so you go in there and tell your story yeah. if you want this. If, you know, if you're indifferent, if you don't feel that strongly about it, well, then continue what you do. Yeah. But if you want to really be competitive, if you want to be taken seriously, you, you got to go to bat for yourself. Yeah. yeah. You really do. Yeah. And, and like you said, I think we've learned how to do that. Um, having, I mean, maturity has its yes. advantages. Indeed. <laughs> And we face enough knockbacks to know, well, actually, if you're not going to do this for me. I need to advocate for myself. Exactly. And something else that I think is important for, for women as you negotiate your pivots later in life is to be willing to walk away. Yes. Rather than be taken advantage of. Yeah. yeah. Rather than sell yourself short. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, as a consultant, I've had international consulting firms who've seen my work um, approach me about being on a team with them. And when I quote my fees, you know, they say, oh, that's more than we've budgeted. And I tell them, you know, I could recommend some other people for you. Mm -hmm. and, and that's being really comfortable with knowing your worth, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, definitely knowing your worth. Because like you said, I, I've walked away from roles and I'm like, no, um, you know, I'll, somebody out there. I always say there's 7.8 billion people out in the world. One of them's going to like me. <laughs> <laughs> and see what you bring to the table. And exactly. exactly. And, you know, there's some organizations which generally can't afford it. And, and don't get me wrong, I discount my fees for like, you know, regional governments, or if it's an NGO or community-based organization like volunteer work. Yeah. But if we're talking about the private sector or, you know, a multilateral development agency or something like that, then no, this is my fee. And I've done my research, so I know that it's competitive yeah. based on what it is that you want to accomplish. And uh, so I, there's a conversation that I have with people start quibbling about fees. I said, listen, there are many different modes of transportation, okay? Let's say we're talking about cars. Mm -hmm. You can have a Suzuki Swift. You can have a Toyota, you know, midline um, mm -hmm. vehicle, or you can have a Lexus or a Mercedes. Yeah. I said, I'm not your Suzuki Swift person. So <laughs> if that's what you're looking for, 
I can make some recommendations for you. Right. I said, you know, I'm in the upper line Toyota, not the mid-range, yeah. the upper. And I don't put myself in the, in the Lexus or Mercedes because I do know that I still have room to grow there. Okay. Okay. But, we were going to have words there. then. <laughs> What's that? We were going to have words then. <laughs> <laughs> and so I put it on the table and I said, listen, I am confident enough about the quality of work that I will do for yes. you. That I will stand by my feet and guarantee you that you will be satisfied in the event that you choose to go this route. But if it's not within your budget, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And I've had international firms walk away from me because I refuse yeah. to discount my fees and then come back later with a subsequent project and pay the fee. Right, right. So you really need to have the confidence to stand your ground. Excellent, excellent. So I totally agree with you there. So, Joan, when you've gone through these changes or when you're going to change careers or when you're going to make that pivot, do you ever get that? Do you ever get what do you fear? What do you fear most when you're going to make those changes? These days or before? Oh, good question. Let's start with before and let's see how it's changed to these days. <laughs> Okay, because let me tell you, major concerns about imposter syndrome, you know, in the olden days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because the nature of the work that I do with these pivots is that I'm always going into something new. Yes. Right? So, yes, I have transferable skills, but I haven't done that exact right. thing exactly. before. Right. Right. Right? Yeah. So, it's always something new. It's you know, not been done before. Generally, it's setting something up. So there's the excitement because I love startups. There's the excitement of the startup. And then there's the little quiver and, you know, uncertainty. You know, do you have this all figured out? Do you know exactly how you need to do this? And of course, you don't know exactly. But I always say, listen, by the time that they figure out that I don't know what I'm doing, I will know what I'm doing. Right, right, right. Right. So, um, yeah, now, because I've had a number of successful pivots under my belt, right now, it's imposter syndrome isn't so much of an issue anymore, if at all. Right. It's the excitement of, let me see what I can do with this now. <laughs> What's the legacy going to be from this one? Yeah, yeah. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. So... We've all we've we've kind of painted a picture that everything can be you know it's been a smooth transitions. We've overcome the challenges and stuff like that. But I know you know we 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 have experience. We've had a few doors close in our face. But Joe, what 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 positive difference has failure made in your life? Well, let me tell you, my biggest failure was my most productive learning period. Okay. Right. And so I told you about the pivot going from a C-suite position to the public sector position as a political appointee where right. you have no security of tenure. Yes. yes. And so that was a bit of a fail in terms of, well, you know, the, the thing about political appointees, your fortune rises and falls with the electorate. Mm -hmm. So there came a time when with my reading of the tea leaves, I'm like, I don't think we're gonna win this next election. 
So fortunately for me, I have the ability to, to alternate before what's in front of me immediately. So the operational and tactical work and the more strategic work. Yes. So I sort of read the tea leaves a couple of years before right. the election was due. Yeah. And so I said, okay, the time to move is now, not after the election, yeah. but now. Yeah. And so when the contract was offered to be renewed, I said, no, thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move at this point. Mm-hmm. And there were still, you know, two years left in the term. So they were like, why? But I, again, realized that, well, it was a risk. I, I knew it was a risk going yeah. in. Um, because of the the financial collapse, there's just so much that went wrong. Yeah. Um, not because of the government, because there, you know, the global financial yes. collapse, yes. Um, the Stanford um, Financial Group, it's happening in Antigua, the bike of the clique. There were just so many things that went wrong that made it difficult for an incumbent government. Yeah. And I said, you know, just bad timing, and you're going to be a casualty of all these things having gone wrong. And so how then do I move forward? Because I left the private sector in a very public way because I went to work with the prime minister of the country. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a known story. How, what do I do now? What, what's act two? Right. Or maybe act three, because it was my act two. Where do you go from here? And so, you know, God is just so good that the timing was fantastic because I said, well, I'll start um, consulting Mm. full time. And just as I was making that transition, I was offered an opportunity to manage a regional project funded by the Canadian government. So in terms of what on the face of it could have been perceived as a fail, catapulted me onto a regional platform, the, the the project covered, I think, about 12 CARICOM countries, and I was the one in the region responsible for managing it. So um, while it was a fail in terms of it didn't end up the way I had planned it to end up when I made the move initially, like I said, the lessons that I extracted and working in the office of the prime minister was a fantastic experience. And Um, Prime Minister Baldwin Spencer, who is one of my mentors and a sponsor, Um, just having that time with him and learning from him was, you know, fantastic. So even though it didn't end the way I would have liked for it to end, where I would have fully executed all the projects that he had asked me to come on board to execute, um, I, I frankly would not have had it any other way. Because I think had I been successful in the original remit, I I would not have ended up managing the regional project. And that again catapulted me into an even bigger stage where I am now. The, the one thing I'd, I'd love to take away from what you said was early on where you talked about um, being forward thinking because and it, it springs to mind because quite recently I was on LinkedIn and somebody had asked the question, somebody had asked the question about someone long has been prepared and, and she described where she'd worked for a company for a long, long time and out of the blue. Um, out of the blue, she was she was she was severed. And that was it. She was talking about whether whether it's about um, does your title define who you are? 
you know. Yes. And, and there was a yes. very lengthy discussion in the comments, which was great. Yes, um, I remember that post. <laughs> yeah, and and, and, and you know, it was, which which was great. But the th but the, what I liked about and one of the things that struck me, and I'm the, very much the same as you, is that there's a level. I think sometimes you get settled in a role. And there's a, an organization, there's a level of complacency per, spect, per yeah. se. And I like the fact that you're strategic, strategically thinking about your future. Personally, I've yes. never stayed in the role much longer than four years. And the last organization I worked for was the longest I've, I've ever worked for an organization. And even then it was like, okay, I'm here too long. I never planned this, you know? So I've, yeah. always, I've always been thinking, think, thinking ahead. And yeah. That is so important because a lot of folks do get blindsided. Yes. And, you know, like you, I go through these cycles. So I typically have a three-year cycle. Nice. Then I start getting antsy. Yeah. I've stretched it out to like seven and I did nine one time, but I was miserable for the last two. <laughs> so I know that I'm not supposed to, to do it that long. So even when I took over and I was managing um, that regional project, yeah. So again, it was a startup. So I did everything from, you know, setting up the office, buying furniture, hiring all the staff, yeah. um, you know, ensuring all the standard operating procedures were in place. And then three years in, I resigned. Right. And nobody saw it coming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they were like, why? Yeah. And I was like, I'm ready for another challenge. No, I remained associated with the project. Yeah. But in another role as a facilitator, I'm like, I don't want to be the regional project manager yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think it's so that that's me. I don't allow myself to get complacent in any role. Yeah. Um, so, I, you and, know, and, but. And I was going to say, I also think from what I've heard, because I'm hearing a lot of women think thinking right now, especially through the pandemic period, looking at their life, thinking, is this it? Is this, you know, or they're having to return to work thinking, I don't want to return to work, but there's 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 an element of fear about making that change, about make coming out of that comfort zone, coming out of that comfort zone. You know, I tell people to get to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's a whole other story. Yes. But you know, but what what would you advise a, a woman who's thinking their career right now, thinking, I'd like to make a move, but oh, I'm a little fearful right now. So it depends on your circumstances. I've been yeah. fortunate um, in terms of my personal life, having that kind of flexibility. Right. All right. So um, for most of my professional life, I've been single. Yeah. So in terms of my decision making, um, I have nieces and nephews, which is like the best um, invention in the world because you get, you know, all the, the love and the opportunity to contribute to helping, helping to groom them. But you're not that responsible that you can't decide I'm going to, you know, pick full up stakes and move on yeah. to take on a new challenge. So it depends on, on those things. But even within those constraints, what I would say is to spend some time in deep introspection in order to identify what really feeds your soul. Yeah. Because one of the benefits of being our age is that I don't take gigs that don't excite me. Yes. Yeah. If I can't get up in the morning and be excited about going to my desk to work on this, 
I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I did that when I was coming up. Yeah. Right. So if you're going to pivot and take on a considerable risk, make sure it's about something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because the money mightn't start coming right away. So you need the psychic income to keep you going until the money does start to come. Yeah. So take some time, really think deeply about your, your values, your personal values. Um, what's your purpose? And how can you marry that with the thing that you do to earn a living? And I think once you can bring those two together, and, and I, I, I really do believe, and this has been my lived experience, that um, put that with some faith and you'll be all right. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Thank you for that. So we're coming down to our last few questions. Joan, thank you. We'll get, get you out of the hot seat mm -hmm. soon. So share with us a success quote or a mantra that you use and why it's meaningful to you. Okay, so mine comes, it's, it's biblical, and it's, I'll tell you what it is and then why it's so important to me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens all things. And that speaks to me on a professional level, as well as speaking to me on a personal level, because uh, I've had a number of health challenges. Right. Um, I have thyroid disease. Um, I have um, a, a brain tumor, a benign brain tumor, albeit, and I'm a cancer survivor. And for each diagnosis, it was traumatic. Right. Right. And um, life changing. And potentially devastating. Right. And the fact that I have three really complicated medical issues and none of them have had the worst possible outcome or even a medium bad outcome. The outcomes have been all good. Yeah. And so I really believe that part of, part of that is just God's grace and mercy. Because, I mean, I remember when I was diagnosed with my brain tumor, there was someone else within the organization who got a diagnosis around the same time. Right. Not the same diagnosis, but yes. another type of brain yeah. tumor. Yeah. And when I look at how my prognosis played out compared to how hers, and I said, you know, it, it's just the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Because, and somebody who is a knowledge worker to be told that there's something growing in your brain that shouldn't be there. Yes. It's a really scary, yeah. scary yeah. Um, conversation to have and reality to confront. Yeah. So I, I have come through those three potentially catastrophic diagnoses and I'm in reasonably good health today, praise God. And I've taken on, you know, challenging jobs yeah. and have been able to hold my own or better in them. And so that for me is something that I hold on to. And it's even um, mentioned in my book. Excellent. And thank you so much for being so open and candid and sharing that with us, sharing that with us. So, Joan, what advice would you give to your 75-year-old self? Uh, my 75-year-old <laughs> self, knowing myself at almost 60 now, I still have a few years to go, but I, lo I love saying I'm almost 60, I'm claiming it. Um, I would say to my 75-year-old self, get up and go for a walk. Ah, Okay. Why? 
because part of what I just shared with you, my health yes. challenges, yes. and because I made certain changes in my lifestyle, so I it's no part of my routine that at least five days a week I'm doing something. Yeah. Um, not so much the gym anymore because of COVID and yeah, because yeah. of my other health conditions. I have decided not to go back into the gym yeah. just yet. Yeah. So right now I'm walking and yes. or doing videos at home. And so sometimes it's hard to start, but then once I start doing it, I, I'm always very pleased that I did. So that's what I would tell my 75-year-old self. Get up and start walking or exercising. You'll feel better. Fantastic. And it's very, very true because you just have to get up and go. Just get exactly. one foot out the door. That's it. And the rest will follow. And the rest will definitely follow. I'll tell you a little hack, though, because I love to sleep. Yes. And... I, if I don't work out in the morning, it's not going to happen. People who do it in the evening, I tip my hat to them, but mm. I'm not one of those people. Yeah. And so in terms of the discipline and forming new habits, and this is something really important for us to understand in order to be successful um, with or without the pivots. Yeah. Um, for me to form that new habit of getting up and exercising every morning, it just took one little change. I used to keep my alarm next on the um, night table next to the bed. And so I would reach over and snooze it, of course. Yes, yes. I moved it across the room. So when that alarm goes off, I have to turn it off. I have to mm. get up, get out of the bed, walk over to my dressing table where I, I now keep yes. the alarm. Yes. And once I'm up, I'm not going to snooze it and go back to this so yeah. that's how Excellent. it became a habit to get up and go exercise every morning great piece of great piece of advice great piece of advice i have four dogs that let me know it's time to go for a walk in the morning <laughs> you know so but yeah i'm not sure if i take that on the alarm clock but either way it gets me out of bed gets me out of bed so joan where would we find you typically on a saturday morning at 10 a.m now, I know you asked this question and I said, oh, my God, my answer is going to be so boring. <laughs> but <laughs> I will be home doing laundry. Okay. It's got to be done sometime, I yeah. suppose. And the thing is, I actually find, I enjoy doing laundry. I find it therapeutic. The, yeah. the mindless routine of sorting and yeah. doing yeah. the pre-wash and, yeah. you know, I, so... And it, it, it's thinking time for me. So I can do a lot of reflection in terms of yeah. what would have happened during the week. Yeah. You know, things that I should be doing differently, yeah. things that didn't get done. That So, yeah, that, that's my Saturday morning. Well, that's fine. We're not judging you. We are not, <laughs> we are not judging you. So, Joan, that was my last question. But if people would like to know more about getting in touch with you, know more about your book, um, how can they do that? Okay, so um, my primary platform in social media would be LinkedIn. Yeah. And yeah. so you can just search me by name, Joan H. Underwood. And I am very active on LinkedIn, daily posting. And my posting content is to help persons maximize their potential. I have a community of followers called Maximizers. We're not perfect, but what we do commit to is putting in the effort every day to get the best possible outcomes. So you can join us and get those tips and strategies. Um, also over on Instagram, and again, it's my name, at joan.h.underwood. 
And I'm also on Facebook, not my preferred medium, but you can find me there and you can look. I have a business page and a personal page. So the personal page would be my company name and that's Underwood Talent Development Services. And of course, um, the personal page, you can just look for my name. My website, uh, you can get the book there as well as on Amazon. And it's also available in local bookstores in Antigua, in Barbados, and in Dominica and Jamaica. But you can buy it on Amazon or directly from me on my website. And my website is UTDS, which is the acronym for Underwood Talent Development Services. And I have a, a blog, a bi-monthly blog. You can find that on the website. I also post it on the various social media platforms. So say hi and let me know if there are topics that you would like to, to have me address. I have a couple of new books coming out in September. I'm bringing out the workbook for Manager's First Aid Kit, which is my substantive text. And the demand for the workbook, I did not start out with the intention. <laughs> But it has a lot of reflection and, yes. and other activities in it. And so I've developed that into a workbook. And then another problem that people complain about, a major pain point is managing time. And frankly speaking, I don't think you can manage time. So that's another pivot. Okay. So I, have, I developed a system of managing priorities as opposed to managing time. Yes. Yeah. So I've developed it into a 10-point system, and I'm going to be launching that in September. Excellent. Well, there's no flies on you. You're going to keep on being busy and producing, <laughs> Joan. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for joining me today. It's a delight speaking with you. Same here. Thanks so much again for the invitation and for all the work you're doing in encouraging women that you can, we can. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Thank you. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that interview between myself and Joan Underwood. She had some really great takeaways in there and some things that, you know, really resonated with me um, as a woman who has gone through her own uh, several career inventions, really about how the emotional toll um, on her job, that's really motivated her first career pivot. And quite often we spend all our time pushing through, ignoring those telltale signals that are saying to us, well, look, this can't go on. My body can't take this anymore. Um, and it has a much longer lasting effect than we actually give it actually give it credit for. And a lot of things I'm seeing is that, you know, we are cognizant, we're not sure what we need to do next. We're not sure if our skills, we have the skill set that we what we need to do to take us to the next level, which is why you see a lot of women taking additional qualifications. When all you want and all you need, you already have within yourself. And this is the kind of stuff that I cover off when I work with my clients. We look at all these areas. What are your blocks that are stopping you from making that next career move? How are you getting in your own way? So if you're considering your next career transition, career pivot, reinvention, whatever you wish to call it, maybe you're even just trying to look at your escape plan, then I'm the person you need to speak to. Let's have a chat about how I can help you with the goals that you're trying to achieve in your next career pivot and your next career change. 
you can contact me by going to my website janisutherland.com you can email me at info at janisutherland or just follow me on the normal social media channel send me a message there and we'll have a quick call to see how i can help you reach your next career goals as always until next time remember if i can you can this woman can take care until next time Thank you.